What up, everybody? This is Chef Jack Harris of the uh, Talk Team Podcast. This is Jade with the Jessica Northrup team from Denver, Colorado, and you are listening to the Real Talk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Real Talk Podcast. Today, I'm beyond stoked to have one of my favorite people join us at Compass. Brian Renzenbrink is a software engineer by trade and early engineer at Compass that now leads our infrastructure automation team. At Compass, he's responsible for technical infrastructure projects that build our internal flywheel to make our product and engineering better. Brian is a graduate from upstate New York, a transplant from Cincinnati, Ohio, and desperately trying to retain his youth playing in the various soccer leagues that he's in every week and going to live shows. Brian is known as a role model at Compass and the young Ethan Hawke lookalike. Brian is proud to say he is both a big in little at Big Brothers Big Sisters, a national mentorship charity program. Please follow him at Brenzen B, that's B-R-E-N-Z-B, on Instagram. And I would just like to say I'm very thankful and happy that you're here today. Uh, thank you for the introduction. Little flowery words and, you know, one of my <laughs> least favorite compliments in there. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, uh, it, it, it comes up. And, and the, the more you grow your facial hair, I think the, the, the more... The, the resemblance. I'm trying to hide it with the facial hair and the glasses. Like, less face. What are you face? trying to hide? You're, you gotta show that great face of yours, man. We'll work on it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, my first impression of Brian was, who is this soccer bro? This was uh, five years ago. I actually saw you in the elevator, probably after your interview. And, I, you know, in my head, it's the first time working with engineers coming from a real estate uh, just a traditional real estate firm, you know, everybody wore suits and ties and jackets, and here's Brian coming in, shorts, uh, shirt, a book bag, I think some soccer shoes, probably stuck stuff somewhere outside of his book bag, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, who is this soccer bro? But fast forward five years later, uh, happy to say, you know, you're one of my uh, closest friends and colleagues uh, at Compass. Yeah, uh, happy to say it's pretty mutual. It, it's been a really fun five and a half years. Uh, actually, my start at Compass was one of my favorite kind of stories because the interview was really hard here. I really didn't think I got the job. I got in multiple arguments during the interview process. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, which made me really want the job more. I was like, oh man, like who's this Ugo guy? He's great. Oh, like, that's great. He definitely he's wrong about that one thing, but like other than that, it was great. Uh, and then I got to meet a bunch of people. We were really small. I think we were counting the agents, like 30 people 30, in total. Yeah. How many uh, engineers were there? Maybe six. Half, six of them. No, we were only six engineers. And we had like four product people yeah. at the time. I remember joining at that time. We didn't really have a division of labor. Everyone's just like, you're doing whatever <laughs> needs doing. Right. Which is one of the really big changes. I mean, it's been five and a half years. You know, we've grown. We're a startup in adolescence right now. We're trying to be more mature. And as we've grown, you see specialization the hallmark of civilization. Like your team has become specialized in who you target, what you target, the roles within the team. Engineering and product teams are dramatically more specialized. Like I'll get yelled at if I do something that's outside the scope of my job because that's something someone else should be doing so that they can learn it, so that we can all grow. They're like, oh, you already know how to do that. 
there's no benefit to you doing that anymore. It's, it's like high school football, you know? Like every, in high school, everybody plays every position. You know, you play defense and offense and mm-hmm. special teams. But now it's like you go to the NFL, so you have your specialists. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get to be a star anymore. Why receiver in playing corner? Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. It's nice. You know, you get that depth when you get the chance to focus on doing one thing really, really well above doing everything else. Mm-hmm. But this is why you end up you know, needing more people. This is why an agent team needs support staff. This is why an engineering team needs product managers and designers because, honestly, you couldn't trust me to design the website. You remember <laughs> what it used to look like. Speaking of needs, you're hiring right now. So who are you looking, who are you looking for as a, as a, I guess you're a manager or a team leader? What type of people are you hiring? What are you looking, uh, so, you looking for in a hire? So within my organization, we are hiring both senior engineers and engineering managers like myself. Uh, we're looking for really practice engineering managers, people that can come into a team that already has strong engineers and help provide them with feedback and input so that they know that they're moving in the right direction. We trust everyone to build excellent product, to do good work, but the hard part that management comes with is making sure that people are building in the right direction. For the engineers, what we're really looking for in this technical infrastructure role is the idea that we want to find someone that understands their clients. And in our case, our clients are our partners. They're the other engineers in product engineering. They're product team members. We're building tools for them. And it's really nice. It's a short feedback loop, but it's also really hard because you don't get the same level of support you would have if you had an agent-facing product. Uh, so we're looking for people that are usually coming from other startup backgrounds. Really great, actually, if those what people... What company specifically? Uh, the type of company is if you've come from a startup that you were at and you grew from less than 20 people to more than 50, that's always like the best signal we have for someone that's going to be a great fit in engineering here mm. because you've mm. had to wear a bunch of different hats and you understand how components work together, what the system architecture looks like, and you're probably pretty eager to just actually focus on doing one thing and doing one thing well. Because you've already done that part. Sure. <laughs> yeah, you've had to do the juggling. You're ready so to So you would judge as someone's resume if they were coming from, let's just say, an Amazon or Google. Yeah. versus someone that came from uh, a company that maybe is in its infant stages. Yeah, so Amazon, Google, we pull a lot of people from, you know, like gang. Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, sure. GAFA, sorry, not gang. Uh, we pull a lot of people from the GAFA group. <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> so say and the acronym again? GAFA. GAFA. Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We pull a lot of engineers from there. And what about we Microsoft? Really good no? Uh, actually, we've started to get a lot now that we have the Seattle campus. GAFA. Yeah. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite the same way. Is this your hard. nickname or like no, this well is known? known. Oh, yeah. this news known. to yeah. me. This is in recruiting. Uh, we pull a lot from there. I'm speaking more specifically to the technical infrastructure organization that I work in. Uh, that's where we're trying to pull people that have had more explicit startup experience. Uh, if you've worked at Amazon, Amazon is really focused on two pizza teams, very yeah. isolated structures. It's great to have fully autonomous teams because you have full segmentation of ownership. But it also means that people that are in that ecosystem are really practiced in that ecosystem sure. and don't have as much experience building something necessarily new. Uh, same thing, like you'll see a lot of great engineers working at Bloomberg, but it has a really specific ecosystem sure. that people mm-hmm. are trained and work in. So it's not necessarily a negative if you've worked at any of these, but it definitely is a positive if you've worked at a growing startup and had to figure out a bunch of these challenges that we're facing right now. Mm-hmm. Google did these 20 years ago, so... Unless you've been working at Google for 20 years, in which case we're very happy. Please interview with Jasmine <laughs> Brian at Compass.com. Uh, I swear I don't Brian at Compass.com? Brian at Compass.com. So one of the perks of joining early is you get uh, Brian at Compass.com. There are 22 Brian's at Compass, and I'm never giving it up. That's right. You will never. You will never. 
Yeah. So there's there's a hundred francs at the at Compass now too. <laughs> so you know it, it it does pay to be in be in early. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of you know people you look for when you build out teams, do you hire, let's just say someone that has a master's degree from a school but has never really worked in the workforce in background in computer science? Yeah. So what we'll hire within product and engineering are almost always targeted towards either really proven engineers, people that will blow you away the first time you meet them. Or really high upside young candidates. Mm -hmm. So, and by young, I mean young in their career tenure, not necessarily young in age. Sure. Uh, but someone that's coming in, maybe they just got their master's, just got their PhD, they had one internship, and they do great in the interviews. They have this appetite and energy. They match really well with the Compass Entrepreneurship principles. We're excited to hire. There's a bit of this ground. We've passed uh, over the last year. We passed what's called Dunbar's number. It's like around 120, 130 people. Dunbar's number. Dunbar's number. So this is uh, an old U.S. military term where they talked about after a certain point, you just can't know everyone mm. in a group. Mm -hmm. uh, and that point is around somewhere between 100, 100 and 130 yeah, people. Sure. And this is why you have military organizations less than that. So sure. that's where you need to break up your unit. And we had started to reach that point in product and engineering towards the end of last year. And we're now at a different point. So we really need to start focusing on how we do the organizational structure of engineering on its own. Because we passed this. We've hired. We've doubled in size yeah. in product engineering this year already, and we're still trying to grow more. It's been great. How many are we at uh, HQ? Uh, at HQ, I think between product and engineering, we're right at like 302, 303 right now. That's a very wow. specific number. Thank you for telling us that. Yeah, I'm fair. Is it weird for you to be one of the first six or seven engineers and now... So, be a part of 300? <laughs> uh, it's a little weird in a couple ways. One, I used to know everyone, which is great. Yeah. I'm a really social guy, and I was like, hey, yeah. and now I'm just like, who? You, you probably still that? know everyone. No, I definitely, like, I'll count, and I'll be like, I don't know you, I don't know you. And I only got time to introduce myself to like two of you today. So. Uh, but the weirdest part, and this is actually a hard part, I had to get a talking to from our like head senior TPM in engineering, basically like my boss's boss. He's like, mm -hmm. Right. Like, people know who you are. You need to be more understanding that when you disagree publicly, it's a lot harsher than you think. Mm -hmm. Because I was criticizing an idea. Sure. Uh, and I disagreed very strongly with something. I mean, obviously, ideas are separate from people. But he pulled me aside. He's like, he's terrified. You need to pick up on that. And I was like, why is he terrified? Like, he's like, dude, you've been here for five and a half years. Your name's on all the code base. Like, yeah, yeah, true. People look up to and you. And that was the really weird part. I was maybe like four or yeah. five months ago. I was like, oh, I need to be understanding like wow I may not know everyone most of those people do know me they're reading training materials I wrote sure. or watching talks or reading through my code base mm. yeah so that's the hard and weird part that just comes with tenure yeah, yeah. of course of course um, just to switch gears a little bit a lot of our our agents and listeners uh, whether you're a real estate broker listening to this or someone that just likes real estate or interested in, in our operation I think the common misconception that those listeners have, I'm talking about non-engineers, is that we have, they think that engineers are there to just build tools for Compass. Oh, he's a, he makes websites. Oh, this engineer probably just builds the marketing center for us. But I think that's a big mis misconception, right? Because on the back end, there are tools that run tools, there's code that build codes, and there's also security. Yeah. Not, and I'm not talking about IT security, but we're talking about DevOps. So maybe you can explain a little bit about the, the common misconceptions people have with DevOps and what that exactly was, because that was your previous life at Compass. Yeah, so when I joined Compass, uh, we didn't have any specializations, but about six months in, I started focusing pretty heavily on what we were calling DevOps. 
which is a really overloaded term in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, it can mean a lot of different things. Development operations, though, pretty broad. Uh, what we are treating it as is building tools for the other engineers. Uh, we're kind of targeting this magic number of like 15% of your product and engineering workforce should be devoted to making your product and engineering workforce more efficient, more efficient. Sure. healthier, happier. Healthier is more important than happiness. <laughs> uh, and so we would build out tools like making sure that if I find a bottleneck in the development speed for, say, someone working on a marketing center, they might have a problem where, hey, I've made a bunch of changes, but I can't test them. It takes three days to test. I don't know how to validate all these different images. It's really hard as a human to look and spot the differences. You're like, well, we can work with you on that. We can build something to automate that level of testing for you to remove that from your workflow so you can focus on what you're good at, coding the business logic of things that you do. And this is the same thing that they're doing for real estate agents. Like, they're focused on automating the things that aren't really core to your businesses. They're just getting in the way of putting you in front of the clients. Like, sure. that's what you're good at. We want to get rid of everything that's not what you're good at. We can automate a ton of things. We'll get that out of the way. So my clients are the other product and engineering team members. Their clients are real estate agents, the finance team, the biz mm -hmm. dev team. Uh, separates out pretty well. With, with regards to just the DevOps itself, do you want to talk about uh, why our servers and data is located so, throughout the United States? I love talking about this stuff, uh, but the one thing I want to do a little caveat, we are not called DevOps anymore. Yes. Uh, again, this is an overloaded term, and we were hiring a bunch of people that it meant something different, and it led to a lot of arguments. Okay. So <laughs> one of the great things you can do is just like yeah. throw your hands up, be like, fine, not DevOps anymore. Uh, so one of the things that we really focus on is infrastructure organization. Sure. So when you talk about what Compass is, people think compass.com. This yeah, is a web app. Mm -hmm. Real estate website. It's not a web app. We have 472 different applications that power compass.com or the internal tools. 472? 472. Now, some of these are really small. The, Just the for the goal. listeners, like what, like what are the two, more, two three more important so, uh, one of the ones that we've mentioned that we love, uh, when we talk CRM, yeah. this is one of the most beloved products. It's extremely well built. We were working with Contactually on it. It's amazing. did great with them. It's a game changer. Uh, it's huge. This is actually, under the hood, 12 or 13 different applications. You have one thing for just managing your address book. You have one thing for sending information to your contacts. You have one thing for associating your address book with listings. You have one thing for collecting data that people have put into a comment on the website. The whole goal is to make all these small applications, really small, so that you can very clearly and easily identify what the contract, what does this do? Is it doing it correctly? Great. This is the model called microservices that really like Netflix pioneered for the industry. And we're actively trying to go Amazon, Netflix, Google, everyone follows this model because it's a great way to structure engineering. Interesting. So we have 470 something applications, but that also is spread across, you know, like for those of you that have some you know, past computing history, everything is cloud-based computing. We have somewhere between 600 and 1,000 servers at any given time across multiple different availability zones in different regions. Most of the running applications exist in a single region to make yep. things faster for you guys, yep. but we're backed up across two continents. Uh, so if, God forbid, an earthquake hits, West, or hits Virginia and takes out all the data centers there, we do war games. I can tell you, yeah, we'd be very sad. I'd be planning funerals. I'd be wearing black. But we'd have the website up and running in less than 24 hours again. Like, we're ready for this. Uh, and that's actually one of the things, one of the goals for 2020 is to get that time down to like under 45 minutes. Disaster, okay. everything gone, let's recover in under 45 minutes. Because wow. every one of those 472 applications needs to have 
a specific number? How long does it take you to recover from breaking? You know, outside of all the tools that we have, let's just say whether it's CRM that you just talked about or marketing center, what about, you know, having as an investor, when you look at a compass and you want to put money into it, how important is that part of the that part of the operation yeah. for us? So I've been in a lot of startups over the course of the years, and I've been pretty close with some of my investors. Been I consider myself, and you should consider yourselves investors here in Compass as well. If you get paid in stock at any point, you're an investor. Sure. You own a piece of this company, and sure. you should be thinking about it that way. And I will occasionally, you know, <laughs> you actually do get investor rights if you exercise 10 of your stock options for any of the people that have those. You should do that just so you can write angry letters and they have to answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty nice. <laughs> But as an 10% or 10 shares? Once you own 10 shares of Compass stock, you have certain rights within the organization. That's most of the brokers and most of the staff. Yeah, almost like 10 shares is a very, very high number. Yeah. Or a very, very high number of people on staff. That's a very, very high number. But there are things like when we were early on, Compass is a bit more secretive. I exercised 10 of my shares and then I sent a very (laughs) formal letter to David Snyder and said, I want to see the cap table, please. Sure. Okay. Tell me this, and you have to because I am an investor. Right. Which is great. It. It's not nice. private information yeah. Yeah. As, a, as a shareholder. Yeah, so we're all, as employees that have been paid in stock, we are investors in this company as well. Uh, so one of the things that the bigger investors, like the VC investors are looking for, they're always looking at this idea that it has to be worth at least a 10x return. Mm. So if you're going to be a VC investor, an angel investor, uh, either case, the hit rate is usually you're going to succeed on one out of 10 startups. That's it. Mm. 10% bet. That's like you wouldn't make quadruple A baseball. Like you're a terrible hitter. That means that that one that you hit needs to have enough upside to pay off for everything else. So the first thing you look at when you're investing in a company is what am I looking to be paid for and what's the ceiling here? The ceiling for Compass is, you know, a couple hundred billion dollars. Like, I mean, maybe... A couple hundred billion dollars in valuation or a couple hundred billion in sales? Uh, valuation. valuation. Uh, like, mm-hmm. if you talk about the real estate industry across, globally, like, this is a From really... A global standpoint, sure. Really high ceiling. It sure. might even be higher. Like, this is... If Compass continues to do just extremely well... Like the U.S. itself is like seven billion. Yeah. Right, in like commissions. It's, it's absurd. And just the uh, residential commissions. So, you look at what the ceiling is. The ceiling is really high. And then you look at... What is the lever that we can maneuver? So companies like SoftBank or Founders Fund have very different ideas on what levers they can offer. Founders Fund gets in early because what they can do to provide a boost to their products, companies they invest in, is introductions primarily. They want to set you up with another company that will do something to streamline things for you. They'll get you a sweetheart deal with some operations. Founders Fund, for those listeners, was what? They were the early investors of Facebook. Uh, they were early in Facebook. They were early in, I want to say, Oscar Health Oscar, as well. Yeah, sure. uh, they were relatively early with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then SoftBank is obviously like the big VC that is very late stage. And they only mm-hmm. come in, yeah. you know, in, the, in the series. Yeah, and their lever is they just pump so much money into you that you can remove your obstacles when you're in the rocket ship phase of your growth. Like, mm-hmm. Really Basically keep it that. eliminates the competition. That's, that's what he did with Alibaba. Yeah, eliminate right. some of the competition by outspending them. And But the big part is most companies, when you hit that rocket ship of growth, they talk about it. There's a point where you have to start caring. You're like, okay, we're running out of money. We have to slow down. We have to stop expansion. We have to stop certain investments just to get our revenue streams right because that rocket ship takes a lot of risk. Uh, you're like, but SoftBank invests in you so that you continue to take that risk going forward so you have an even higher return. Mm-hmm. Like that's their investment model. Mm-hmm. So when you look at both of them, the reason they're excited about Compass is really high possible ceiling. Uh, we have a very clear pitch. 
Sure. This is, we have an industry that is almost universal. And mm-hmm. Compass used to be Urban Compass. We used to actually not try and focus for a very short period of time on agents. And we pivoted. We realized we could build all these tools for the end consumers that would make them you know, more efficient, able to automate a bunch of what they do. People make the decision to buy a home 2.6 times in their life. No one's ever going to be comfortable with the two biggest financial decisions of their life Never. without an expert here. Without, but yeah. you know who mm-hmm. would really get a lot of value out of tools, out of automation to streamline the process, make them more effective and efficient? Agents. They're hopefully doing this you know, between 10 and 100 times a year. Uh, and when they're doing that, you're looking at like, okay, there's a class of the workforce that we can hire, work with, independent sure. contractors. We can make them more efficient. Like the sales pitch to bring in agents is... We're going to make your life easier. We're going to make you more money. We're going to make you better at your job. Would you like to work with us? Like, yeah. Uh, it's an easy sales pitch. That's really appealing to investors. And then the other parts are how do we do integration? So one of the things I was actually having a talk yesterday with one of the guys on my team about how Apple had such great success doing vertical integration. Sure. The fact that they could line up what their hardware is doing with what their software is doing meant they had full control over everything. They were really able to streamline their process, and it's been terrific for them. Compass, in the future, like this is one of the things we're working heavily towards, is having horizontal integration for all of the utilities and tools that our consumer and agent base are going to want. This mm-hmm. is, right now, it's like CRMs, it's the listing search, it's yep. marketing center. But there are 75 different other things that go into the act of purchasing a home. Mm-hmm. And we can streamline all those so that data from one impacts another. Like It'd be great if when you went to go fill out your closing documentation, it was just populated. This is all information you've given your sure. real estate agent 37 times. You don't want to have to copy it or transpose it sure. yourself. Yeah. Should be a button. That, sure. Nothing about filling out that form takes advantage of your skill sets. I mean, yeah. So it, it's it imagine just all being streamlined, right? From bridge loans to concierge and then to marketing yeah. center to search to collections and then to cl- using yeah. the closing tool. I mean, There's me, endless it's, opportunities. It's yeah. a virtuous cycle, too, because as one tool gets better the others get better. As the tools get better, we get more agents. As we get more agents, we get more inventory. As we get more inventory, the tools become better, we have more data, and then eventually we have enough data, we become the de facto source of truth for other real estate tech companies. Sure. Think of a company like Updater, is a startup here in town. They're actually like right across right. the street. Mm-hmm. Their job is when people move, making sure that the move is seamless. Mm-hmm. Updater could absolutely be built on top of our APIs if we let them. And that's one of the end goals for engineering is having like Compass as a platform. Yeah. And that's like the really good canonical example. Uh, I look so forward, like that's my big fun technical challenge is that day when someone's gonna be using our APIs and it's just like push button, like, oh you wanna use our APIs? Hit this button, you'll have everything automatically set up for you, you'll be billed appropriately, and you'll build on top of us. And then Compass no longer has to worry about doing like internal prototyping for stuff. You're like, yeah, we have five startups all using our APIs. We'll just snatch up the one that's doing the best job because yeah. they have like really good talent in their office and we'll bring them in. And it's a, such a really good way to have growth. At the sure, company. sure. Like, it's a big dream. When you talk about, uh, just going back a little bit, valuation and how, you know, the way VC funds look at it is, is one out of ten. That's the, that's the benchmark, right? Yeah. Um, we work in SoftBank having the same investor as us uh, probably has a little bit of disappointment in, in, in WeWork and now kind of relying relying more on their big investments like Open Door and Compass. Yeah. What do you think is our difference between WeWork, WeWork, and we talked a little bit about this last week, but you know, WeWork also 
is a tech company, technically, right? They yeah. do have tech. What makes you think uh, that we won't be a WeWork? Can I curse on your podcast? Please. Yeah, <laughs> fuck Adam Newman. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I, mean, like, I loved it when he, when he visited us. I he was great. Yeah, he visited the Compass office. Presenter. Yeah, but he's Sh- kind of like a cult leader. Like, he's sure. just, like, in there, like, magnetic personality. And then, like, three hours later, you're like, wait, none of that, huh? Like, three hours later, he's smoking yeah. weed. Yeah, I was very, apartment. very upset. Uh, so there's two things I want to call out that I think are really strong differences. And the reason I start with that statement about Adam is his level of responsibility towards his, in, his team, the people he supports, dramatically different. He talked uh-huh. this big game about wanting people to have access to more but responsibility for less, like changing the ownership model. Sure. But he still owned a ton of stuff. Sure. He was different. I remember a few years ago, uh, I used to go out for drinks with Rob Refkin fairly often when we were small. And oh, yeah. this was like three, Back four years ago. Oh, it was yeah. a while. Drinks, pork, uh, pork night, what was it? Pork belly yeah, night? Yeah, pork belly nights. <laughs> it told me to my face. He was like, no, I don't have more than two drinks a night. Too many people's careers depend on me now. He just said, he's like, no, thank you. I, think it was, I thought it was one drink now. It might be down to one. Like I'm. S- <laughs> uh, oh, no, he's got three kids now. So like maybe he needs a second <laughs> drink. <laughs> yeah. But... Honestly, that's really great to hear. Like, he does have a sense of responsibility to his employees. Sure. Like, that scenario where his goals are not aligned with the goals of everyone else in this organization doesn't exist. Sure. So that part I feel really strongly about. I've been at some companies where you just didn't trust your leadership. This is not the place. No. Rob Refkin is a great leader. Every other leader that we have, I trust. And sure. we've got a lot of different leaders in our organization that have just been great at driving things. They... They're carrying so much water, carrying weight for everyone that you don't even realize until yeah. you talk. Yeah. Uh, but the big difference from a tech side, we talk about WeWork as a tech company. Yeah. Uh, WeWork as a tech company wasn't doing anything with its tech yet. Its tech promise was that we are going to build this huge inventory of clients. And these clients are all going to be small WeWorking spaces, uh, are going to be taking advantage of WeWorking spaces. They're going to be using our software to book, schedule, book or schedule meeting rooms, to order mm-hmm. snacks, blah, blah. And eventually, we're going to have enough data to make really smart decisions. We're going to be able to recommend to people, here's how big an office you need. Here's how many meeting rooms we should put in an office of this size for this area. Here's what kind of snacks you should get. That's really useful information. Like 10 years from now, they would need to be much bigger than they are currently to have a data set that is valuable at this point. Compass's data set is already incredibly valuable. Like We have so much more of the inventory market, of the existing data. Four, homes being sold. And a big part of this is, you know, like there are MLSs. There have been MLSs in most major markets in America for six years. years. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they were doing them on paper back in the day. Uh, So we've had those. So we started with a better standpoint. We have access to better data. And we're already able to make smart decisions about that data. So that's where you start to get the real ramp up speed. Like as soon as you hit that virtuous cycle, things get exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're already at that point as far as access to data and the ability to start using that access to data to make the data itself better. WeWork was years away. Like, you weren't even sure they would ever have more than a thousandth of a percent, a millionth of a percent of total data on how people interact in their office space. Like, it's just almost impossible. Mm -hmm. So their tech offering didn't really do anything yet. They had a promise. They had potential. But the potential was so far away as to not really be tangible. Do you think that they'll survive in the next 10 years? Uh, yeah, I think they'll survive. I don't think they will thrive. I, uh, you don't if, think they'll reach that valuation that they had several months ago before they tried to go IPO? I'm not sure they're going to 
even stay as high as they currently are. Speaking of the future, what about, just to wrap things up, because I know you're busy, what do you think will happen of our future in terms of evaluation? So I, I would be very surprised, uh, and I'm just saying this as... Listen, this is just you, not... I'd be very surprised if we took another round of private funding. Sure. There's a lot of appetite. Do we need that much more money? We don't. No. No, uh, we don't need that much more money. We're not focused on the really expensive part of expansion right sure. now. The really expensive part of expansion was physical offices in new cities. Like, we wanted to build, 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 build. A lot of growing pains, new leases, construction. We got better at doing Amazing. that. Yeah. Right now, our model for expansion is depth. Like, we are getting more and more market share in the existing markets. That's it. We're, we're expanding a little bit in those cities. Like, we'll branch out, like, get this neighborhood, get this neighborhood, different mm -hmm. offices. Mm -hmm. But the real place we're spending, these are all investments. Sure. They're, we're not paying rent right. as where our money goes. Right. So our costs are going to stay roughly level mm -hmm. as far as growth cost, And our investment is all going into hiring. Like it, yeah. And we're putting a ton of money, thank, ton of money into product and engineering. <laughs> That's why we've had so much hiring this year. With the idea that we're at this point where Product engineering has a large enough data set, they have enough stability, they have enough reliability within the platform that they build on that we can start iterating and building quick. Uh, I know that you guys saw, we had our first AI powered application maybe two months ago, and we have a ton. We want to have this ability to start dynamically surfacing. Do you have AI in our CRMs? Uh, no, the first AI application is on the homepage. If you go to the homepage, the carousel at the bottom that you see if you're a consumer, is going to be homes that are either things you've looked at or things that we think that customer that will like. Oh, yeah. That. yeah, I Which look at that all nice. the time, actually. It's such a small thing, but it should make your lives easier. Just like, hey, we're going to bring someone here. They're going to see, every time they come to the homepage, one new home they might like if they haven't made a decision yet. But one of the next things we're going to do is, like, when do we think people are really focused on a single place? Yeah. Can we make suggestions to them? Can we tell you that, hey, your client was looking at this house for three hours, really actively there, just scrolling, <laughs> scrolling through the pictures. Through, highlighting your Maybe prioritize <laughs> this one. Spend more time when you're going through the open house walkthrough with them yeah. on this one. We know they like That's it. Good. We, uh, That's good. Those hints, those little hints. Yeah. yeah, and these are things that only make the experience better for agents, for consumers. We want to shorten the total time to find that home, to close on the home, to mm -hmm. get everything done. So that's really, really big. Uh, just to kind of see all these things start to go through has been great. Mm, got it. Uh, just to wrap up, Danielle, do you have uh, one question that you'd like to ask Brian, our special guest, before he uh, leaves? Ooh. I'm going <laughs> to hard-hitting questions. <laughs> um, I guess just one question would be, your career at Compass has changed so significantly from when you first started to where you are now. And what about it now? Do you like so much? Do you love like being a manager? How has it evolved? And so I very much like being a manager. It's something I actually sought out. Uh, I kind of forced the issue, to oh, be nice. perfectly honest. <laughs> and the reason I Good forced it is I wanted to prove to myself this idea of the philosophy behind the best way to do engineering. I'm a big believer, and there are a lot of us in the engineering organization that feel this way, in the inverted org chart, where management's job is to be a support structure. Mm -hmm. uh, and this means that, you know, when someone needs to get work done, you trust the people doing the work. Uh, my, I'm from Cincinnati, so my canonical example is Procter & Gamble. Procter & Gamble's been a company for 140 years. 
their job above all else is to not screw up. Yeah. And that's that's real different <laughs> from compasses forever. Yeah. And that's real different from what we're doing. Our job is to build as much as we can. And when you're trying to yeah. build, you have to empower the people doing the building. That's right. Whether it's your product people, your engineers, your real estate agent, whoever's actually doing the work. So my job is to support a team of people, help them build work, make sure that they know what we're building toward. Leadership's job is to set really great North Stars, goals that you know we 95% get to stretch us a little bit. We get buy-in from the team, but actual implementation details, how you're going to do this, should always be the people doing the work. They're closest to the problem. They're going to know better. I wanted to test that argument. I really want to do this. Uh, and so that's why I forced the way into leadership. And I've got a great team right now. Uh, it's actually why I'm taking off a little early. I have to go see one of them give a talk in front of a bunch of different yes. people. Uh, yeah, Allison's great. She's genuinely doing great. Uh, so I really like my team right now. The parts that I enjoy the most are getting to see them like really fly. Like when I look up and I ask, like, hey, what can I help you guys with? And I'm quite a bit older than everyone on my team. And I say, <laughs> so what can I help man. you with? And they're like, we're good. We don't need you. It's amazing. Ah, like, great feeling. Cool. All right. Oh, That's great. Yeah. Right? yeah I've done birds. my job. <laughs> Baby bird's got to fly, right? Like, That's so. awesome. Well, listen, Brian, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. But, you know, we all appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait to uh, hang out again in the very future. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks. 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 Thanks.